0: Welcome to The Healing Sanctuary, I'm your host, Melissa Field, and this week I'm going to be talking about negative self-talk. I've been running this podcast for about five months now, and for the most part I have stuck to doing meditations and visualizations. Recently I've been opening up to doing more of these discussions and talks on relevant subjects of fear self-worth and things like that, and last week I did my first full episode and it was on the fear of failure. I was really nervous going into the episode and when I sat down at the mic, I was just flooded with self-doubt and insecurity. I'm feeling a lot of that nervous energy again, but I'm also happy to be here because I know how important this stuff is and I don't want the fear to stop me from doing something I'm passionate about and that I believe in time I can learn to feel comfortable and confident with, and getting to that place of feeling good about what I'm doing is just going to be a process of me showing up at the mic every week and continuing on. So thank you so much for showing up for this episode today. It's a really meaningful one to me because I have always struggled with negative self-talk and my thoughts can get pretty intense and pretty dark and tell me I have no value. That's part of why I get so nervous. My brain keeps wanting to tell me I have nothing important to say. After I recorded the episode last week, I felt okay. And then the next day I had the backlash. The negative self-talk and negative thinking came in like a tidal wave that just pretty much knocked me down. All I could think about was how many mistakes I'd made, how certain, how some of the stuff I said wasn't expressed right, and as I was listening to it, I was just like, oh, that doesn't make sense. I didn't quote that right, I didn't say that right. I felt like I talked about myself too much, and I went on and on with all these things, and everything I did was wrong, which proved my fear, which was that I was a failure. I was genuinely convinced I had failed, and it was epic. I was completely overwhelmed by these thoughts, and as you may know, these thoughts can get pretty irrational, and I felt like everyone else was thinking this about me too, which is a wild way of believing I'm important and nobody at the same time. In other words, I'm so important that everybody was listening to my podcast, but I'm also nobody and not good at what I do. And that's just how these irrational thoughts work. When you start to look at them, you're going, well, if that's true, then that can't be true. And wait, that doesn't make sense. And then your brain is kind of shouting at you like, don't analyze it. Just listen to me. I'm telling you that you're terrible. And it's a pretty intense experience. It just completely takes over. And I'm sure you've experienced something like this where your brain has just hijacked you in every way. After I was able to calm myself down a little bit, which for me just means I sit quietly and put both my hands on my heart and I just breathe until the intensity lowers, I was able to see that the thoughts were not evidence that I had done a bad job. They were evidence that neurons in my brain were firing in a specific way, and they were firing this way because they'd been programmed to do so. It's taken me years to understand that negative self-talk really is just a mechanical process that we've programmed into ourselves. My programming throughout my life has been negative, so I, I just default to that when I feel scared. The, the thoughts for running the program that I told them to run and that goes something like, I'm not good enough and I never will be. Now, if through my life I programmed myself with a different story, I'd be hearing different thoughts and a different story would run such as, that was a good first try, I learned something, and next time I'll do better. The thing is, is because the thoughts run no matter what's happening, they run the program that I've told them to run. Even if I had done a quote-unquote perfect episode, I would have still heard the negative thoughts. And that took me a long time to learn also that nothing outside of me would ever change these thoughts. I would never be perfect enough or achieve enough to change the thoughts. The thoughts had to change from within. So basically, whatever I deemed the episode to be good or bad, successful or a failure, was always going to be entirely based on perception And the perception is based on the way the neurons in my brain formed. Because I saw this supposed evidence, I took it as a fact that I wasn't good enough and I never would be. And I felt this so strongly that it felt like a fact of the universe. Like like it was as true as if gravity is always present. The fact that I was holding on to was that Melissa isn't good enough and she never will be. The only reason it felt like a fact is because it runs so often in my brain. It's pretty much on autopilot. It's just kind of always there chiming in and that familiarity, that's what tricks us into thinking these negative thoughts are true. Familiarity has a really funny effect on our brain. If we see or hear something enough, we will come to believe it's true. The amazing thing is, is if I had a positive belief system and positive self-talk, if that is the program that was running, I would have believed that just as much. I would have looked for evidence of my success and of my courage, of what I had done right, but I wasn't looking for any of that evidence. So even though self-talk is purely based in perception, It can still seem really hard to change, and it can still seem like an overwhelmingly fixed part of who we are, like something we're born with, like our height or our eye color, but self-talk is absolutely not fixed. It can be changed, and it can actually start changing right now by just opening up to what I'm telling you, by hearing new things, things you've never heard before. Maybe hearing somebody tell you that they also struggle with the thoughts you struggle with can have a really profound effect on our brain and kind of breaking down what we consider to be, as I said, just a fact when it's not a fact that we've just looked for any tiny shred of evidence that supports our belief system. There can be 99 things telling me I did a good job and I will find the one that tells me I didn't, and then say, Aha! You see? I knew it. That's just how belief systems work. So they're not telling us anything about who we are. They're just telling us how our self-image formed, and they can be changed. And how can they change? Well, this all comes down to neurons. And and before I go any further, let me reassure you, neurons can and do change. Scientists have found that you can make new neurons, which is known as neurogenesis, well into old age. So it doesn't matter how old you are, your brain is still growing, changing, and evolving based on what you're feeding it. You can rebuild your neural mind map just like you could rebuild a house. You can tear down entire rooms of thought, build new ones, and write your mind map in a way that's beneficial to you. I just want to say that I'm not a neurologist or a psychologist or any sort of brain expert. I'm not an expert in neurons or synapses. I'm simply an expert in my own self-loathing, self-doubt, and fear, and in the years I've spent trying to understand myself and free myself from these these thoughts and negative beliefs that hold me back, I've learned a lot about the brain and how it works but I am still an amateur in all of this information, and so I'm just sharing this for you to help you to be open to some new topics and subjects and to seek out the experts that can really help you to understand this in a new way. Everything that I share here is just what I know to be true for me, and I hope it's helpful, and once again, Don't hesitate to look further into this from TED from people who've done TED Talks, written books. I mean, anywhere that you like to get your information, go for it. I am just a starting point. Let's just talk about how common negative self-talk is. One thing I've learned over the years is that negative self-talk does not mean you aren't good enough, you aren't capable, and that there's something different about you. For me, I often think that my negative self-talk is proof that I'm just not the same as the people I look up to and aspire to be like. I've always believed that successful people fully believed in themselves in a way I never could, and that that's why they got where they are, that they must have some innate knowing that they're talented, that they're worthy, that they're good enough, and that that self-belief is how they got where they are and if I don't have it, I must just not be the same. It was incredibly eye-opening for me to learn that successful people not only began with the same doubts and fears as me, but they still had them. I found this so hard to believe that they were basically the same as me. One of the ways I found this was by reading a lot of biographies and memoirs. It was so helpful to me to see that these superhumans are just human. They have the same fears and doubts. They question themselves in the same way. They don't walk into an experience thinking, I'm the best and I deserve to be here. Really, the only thing I've found that I've talked about this before is they're just the people who kept going. So negative self-talk isn't telling you what you're capable of. It's telling you what messages were repeated in your brain as you formed your self-image. That's what negative self-talk is. It's a reflection of what was mirrored to you by, by those around you growing up. It may have been things said to you or it may have been the actual behavior of the people who were modeling how to be an adult for you. So for an example, a very insecure parent can teach you that being an adult means being insecure. We take messages in in a lot of different forms and they're not always direct. It's not always somebody criticizing us or putting us down. It's also just sometimes looking at the people around us and how they respond to the world because we learn everything about being a human from the people who raise us. We learn how to write, how to speak, how to eat, even how to go to the bathroom, and we learn how to have confidence or not. The messages you receive most likely came from your parents or your caregiver, but they may have also not been from the people directly responsible for raising you. It could have been teachers, society, magazines. Movies and television have a big impact on telling us who we are. Your church may have had messages for you. Going to your friends' houses, you were getting different messages. There's a lot of information coming at us when we're children that we don't really know how to process until much later. So even if you had loving and encouraging parents who really believed in you, you still may have absorbed a lot of negative messaging about yourself from society or your community commenting or just reacting to your race, your sexuality, your body type, your finances, we're still very much a world that talks about class. And, you know, it's frustrating we live in a world that is so intent on telling us who we are and how worthy we are based on what we look like. But the good news is, as I said before, you can completely undo those stories Prune those neurons back and replace them with thoughts about how worthy and how valuable you are. All those messages society gave to you, you're just going to pull them out like weeds and say no thank you and grow some beautiful flowers in their place. So even though we look out at successful people and we think, well, you know, they're getting, they have fans and they have people who believe in them, so that's different. They don't have negative self-talk in the same way I do. They just believe in themselves in the way I never will. But that's actually not true, and I don't think it matters how far you get. The imposter syndrome can always be there. And for me, understanding that all people get this really did help me to know that there's nothing wrong with me, and I don't have self-doubt because I'm not good enough I have self-doubt because I'm human. So Tom Hanks, who is not just an Academy Award winner, but probably one of the most loved celebrities of all time, he still doubts if he should have what he has. And he said, he thinks, how did I get here? When are they going to discover that I am in fact a fraud and take everything away from me? And Lady Gaga, who who has achieved more success than I could in 10 lifetimes, said... I still sometimes feel like a loser kid in high school, and I just have to pick myself up and tell myself that I'm a superstar every morning so that I can get through this day and be for my fans what they need for me to be. And this next one I love from Howard Schultz, who is the CEO of Starbucks and one of the most powerful and respected people in the world for the company he's created. You might not like Starbucks, and I totally get that, but... He is still very successful, and he said it out loud what very few do, which is that he doubts his leadership ability. And despite leading one of the biggest companies in the world, he still wonders if he's the right person for the job. He said, very few people, whether you've been in that job before or not, get into the seat and believe today that they are now qualified to be the CEO. They're not going to tell you that, but it's true. So even for people who get to the top and they're running the company because, you know, people believed in them enough to get them there or they just made the right choices, they're still wondering, am I good enough? Am I the right person for the job? And this list goes on and on. While looking for examples of this, I found stories about how Adele gets so nervous she throws up before shows. How Maya Angelou felt with each new book she wrote, people would finally realize she wasn't a good writer. Um Penelope Cruz, the actress, said that every time she starts a new movie, every single time, she thinks she's going to get fired. She thinks this is the time they're going to see, you know what? She's just not that good. And she makes it through because she is good enough. These voices, they aren't telling us the truth. Once again... They're just reflecting our fear back to us. And here's a quote from Michelle Obama. I had to overcome the question, am I good enough? She said when speaking about her time at Princeton. It dogged me for most of my life. Many women and young girls walk around with that question in their minds. I overcame that question the same way I do everything, with hard work. I decided to put my head down and let my work speak for itself. I felt like I had something to prove because of the color of my skin and the shape of my body, but I had to get out of my own way. And then she talked about how even though she got through that, imposter syndrome still affects her. In regards to it, she said, it never goes away. It's sort of like, you're actually listening to me? It doesn't go away, that feeling of, I don't know if the world should take me seriously. I'm just Michelle Robinson, that little girl on the south side who went to public school. And, you know, I think that none of us think as, think of Michelle Obama as just that little girl who we shouldn't be listening to. She is an incredibly intelligent, impactful, amazing leader. And so once again, negative self-talk is not telling you who you are or how you're perceived. It's just telling you that there's a part of you that's still very scared and that's okay. That's a natural part of being human. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, everyone has negative self-talk, but mine is true. And not only that, but people have told me I'm not good enough. People have criticized me. People have rejected me. People have told me that I'm not going to make it. And let me tell you that that still doesn't mean anything. There's still nothing about that that proves anything about you. For one, that's just someone's perception based on the experiences they've had of what they themselves believe to be true. And more often than not, I mean honestly 99% of the time, what people will tell you about yourself is actually how they feel about their own self. The most encouraging people are the ones who inside feel good about themselves. The most discouraging people, the most judgmental people, the most critical people are the ones who don't believe themselves. When people tell you who they see in you, they're actually telling you who they see in them in their own self. And not only that, but how people perceive themselves and the world is changing on a day-to-day basis. If you meet somebody who's in the midst of a divorce and just lost their job and is going through a really hard time, they're going to have a hard time being supportive of you And we very rarely know what's going on in somebody's personal life. So even when people get hypercritical, you just got to remember it's a reflection of where they're at and not who you are. And again, if you don't believe me, this has happened to every person you look up to, respect, admire, and aspire to be. And here's some really good examples Elvis Presley was told by the Grand Ole Opry manager, Jimmy Denny, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. I mean, if I was an aspiring singer and somebody told me that I had no potential to go back to my job, I probably would. During Fred Astaire's first screen test with MGM, and if you're not familiar with Fred Astaire, he was essentially the most popular, successful singer-dancer-actor of his time, There were very few people more famous than him in his heyday. And he was told at his screen test that he can't act, can't sing, slightly bald, and can dance a little. So nothing encouraging about that and definitely negative. I mean, telling him he can't act? And again, if he let that tell him who he is, we wouldn't have Singing in the Rain. Well, we would, but Fred Astaire wouldn't be in it and it would be an entirely different movie. One of the most famous examples of this is Walt Disney, who went bankrupt four times before finally succeeding. Along the way, he was told he lacked imagination and had no good ideas, and this is something that's repeated about Disney a lot. Um, I think that he was like fired from a newspaper. Well, I actually read uh, a biography about him, and I was shocked to find that these little anecdotes about him failing are a small part of how much he failed. His life was full of obstacles and people telling him he can't and why it wouldn't work. Every time he, he had a breakthrough and he made a success, he still had to prove himself again and again, and he was often rejected, belittled, criticized, and questioned every step of the way, making Mickey Mouse... Didn't just give him a free pass for the rest of his life. People still doubted him. And one story that really stuck out to me was when he was actually trying to get Mickey Mouse off the ground, and he showed it to an exec, and the guy doubled over. The guy doubled over with laughter, with tears in his eyes, laughing at Walt's face about how stupid he thought it was. And Walt was absolutely humiliated and dejected by this. Um, but it didn't stop him because, you know, I guess he just knew that other people couldn't tell him what was possible. And so, you know, if people in your life have, have tried to tell you critical things, negative things, to tell you who they think you are, let me just tell you that when somebody doesn't like you or what you're doing, that doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. If you can create Mickey Mouse arguably one of the most successful icons of all time, and have people rejecting it and laughing at it because they think it's nothing, then what people are telling you about what's good enough and what's not is that's pretty meaningless. So now that we've covered how common negative self-talk is, let's get back to talking about neurons. When it comes to negative self-talk, I think that we're taught that the way to counter it is with positive self-talk with affirmations and thinking positive things about ourself and i find this to be pretty misguided for me it was much more helpful to just understand my brain and how it works and how did this all start so for me learning about neurons was really a huge step in changing my self-talk because it helped me to take things that seemed completely abstract like self-image and belief systems and see them for the very real, tangible, solid things they are. I could see them not like, you know, clouds floating through the sky of what do I do with that, but more like building blocks that I could move around and touch them and hold them. And they were things I could work with. Before understanding neurons, thoughts just seemed like unknowable, mysterious things. And, um, and then I began to understand that they weren't that mysterious, they were, but they're just biology and chemistry. Learning about neurons helped me to understand my thoughts aren't these overwhelming tidal waves that come out of nowhere that I have no control over, but in fact, they're just neurons firing. When the neurons fire, a chemical is released and the chemical goes through my body. That's what a thought is. It's a biological process and it's basically an electrical current going from your brain through your body. Once I had a basic understanding, I realized that changing my thoughts was something like tearing up one road and building another. Change suddenly was not only possible for me, but I realized that my brain was built in a way that it supported this process. Being able to change our brains is an inbuilt part of who we are. It might not feel like it, but it's entirely natural and organic for your brain to recreate itself and to create a whole new image of you. Everything within you is supporting you changing your self-talk. When you go through the process, it can feel like there's a lot of resistance, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And once you understand that, it might help you to work through that resistance a little bit better and realize it's not a stopping point, but it's just a part of the rebuilding. I just want to say again that I'm not an expert in this, and I don't feel comfortable giving a detailed explanation of something I'm still learning about myself. I'm still learning about neurons, neurology, synapses, and everything in between. And I'm doing my best here to share some basics with you. But because I'm so passionate about this and interested in this, and I understand how important it is, I am going to continue to share what I'm learning in future episodes. So hopefully through the episodes, we we get a much better understanding about this together. Neurons are so essential to everything about who we are. Your brain's neural network is a map of how you see yourself in the world. It's part of your larger nervous system, and the neurons in your mind and body are in a constant feedback loop with each other. Your brain receives stimuli from the external world, it filters it through your neural network, and it draws conclusions based on previous experiences that cause synapses to fire together when the neurons are firing a chemical is released and it's carried down through your body through an electrical current and then that's how you feel things in your body like anxiety or stress and then once you're feeling that in your body the electrical current kind of continues you know it is literally a feedback loop going in a circle so from your body it'll go back to your brain for your brain response then not to what's happening outside of you but to what's happening inside of you and then if you you know what you're feeling is maybe making it feel a little tight in your chest then your brain says okay I can't breathe something really bad is happening even if in fact nothing bad is happening the pers- the way your body perceives what's happening in your body will confirm to it that you know you're not safe so when we changed our neural network, we're changing our whole mind-body experience. It's so powerful and amazing. What your brain knows or what directions it follows from your neural map is something that is largely based on your experiences as a child, particularly between the ages of, ages of zero and six. For a long time, it was believed that whatever mental mind map you had developed by the age of six was a fixed thing. It's who you were and it couldn't change. And in fact, this is the most faulty thing we've ever been told and has no basis in reality. As I said in the beginning of the podcast, new neurons are created well into old age. And depending on how much you put into this, actually, you can have a brain as active and formative as in your younger years, like through learning a second language and doing things that stimulate your brain. Your brain is learning and growing and evolving to the extent of which you you kind of exercise it. So exercising your mind is absolutely as important as exercising your body when you want to continue allowing your brain to grow and change. And so the reason people didn't think that we could change after the age of six was we just didn't understand neurons and neuro, neuroplasticity And what this change entailed, that it was a process, it was steps had to be taken continually. It wasn't just you pushed a button and you were a different person. It was really like, it really is, you know, our brains are often compared to computer and it is like reprogramming a computer. You've got to continually take out that old code and because programs feed into each other, you've got to reprogram a lot of different aspects. But the change is possible. And it can happen at any time. So what are the kinds of things that develop in us as children before the age of six? Let's say as a child you experience a lot of emotional neglect. Your parents were stressed out and overwhelmed and they just couldn't be there for you to meet your emotional needs. They may have been drowning in their their own emotional dysregulation. They may have been working a lot of jobs and unsure how they're going to pay the bills. But when you went to them and you needed love or support or comfort, they just couldn't be there for you. And they may have literally not been there, and you might have literally been on your own, or they may have been present, but they couldn't be there in a way to meet your very real needs. As a child, you perceive yourself as being rejected Neurons in your brain begin firing together, and a story takes root that says something like, I am not loved, I am not worthy of love. And of course, no child is not worthy of love. But because as children, we have such limited information, and so we become up with this limited story that's not true, it's just based on limited information of people who didn't have the capacity to give us what we needed because of whatever experiences they had pretty much gone through. So as you grow older, you have this program that keeps running, I am not loved, I am not worthy of love, and your brain returns to this neural network over and over. It becomes like a riverbed and everything just flows down it, easy and quick. And because it's already there, it's the most efficient path for your brain's electricity to follow. And because so much energy, literal electricity is flowing down this river, it becomes a dominant pathway. Other rivers begin to flow off of it and into it. And now your life begins to follow the pattern of this story. You believe wholeheartedly you are not worthy of love. And so you push people away and you do what you can to keep yourself safe. Because deep down, you do know you're worthy of feeling safe, and this is the only way you know how to do it. You want to feel safe, and so you push people away, and you put up walls, and then the people in your life will misunderstand this as you actually rejecting them. And so then they'll pull away, sometimes leave you completely. Maybe they won't open up to you, and you just won't feel a connection with them. And it's not because they don't love you, they're just responding to the actions that you're doing based on the story that's in running through your brain. Your story is trying to keep you safe, but unfortunately, this usually results in you feeling hurt and betrayed and not safe. And because of this, you've now confirmed people will always leave you, you'll never be close to people you are not loved, you are not worthy of love, and the story just gets confirmed, which makes you put more walls up, which pushes people away, which makes it harder to feel loved and safe, and the cycle goes on and on and on and on. Thus, this thought that began so many years ago has now become something that feels like a fact. And that's where I was saying in the beginning that these these things feel like facts, but they're not facts. They're just programs that have been running so long We can't remember a time before they were. So this story of I'm not loved, I'm not worthy of love, it's really a distortion of reality. It's us almost forcing the outside world to fit our internal story. When our negative self-talk results in something like this where we don't feel safe, so we push people away and then we feel rejected and we don't feel safe and and on and on, It becomes something that's often reter- referred to as self-sabotage or a self-fulfilling prophecy i'm not really a big fan of this terminology because i think it can feel a little judgmental as if it's intentional or something we want something that we're benefiting from but it's never intentional it's not something we're trying to do to ourselves and i just want to remind you that you're not doing it on purpose, you're not doing it because you want to hurt yourself or anyone around you. It's not your fault your neurons are firing in this way. There's nothing wrong with you, your brain, or how you think. You know, I gave the example of somebody feeling emotionally neglected and then creating the story, I'm not loved, I'm not worthy of love, but there are millions of different stories that develop in this way that give us this distorted sense of reality and all it is is you're following a map you drew when you were five years old so give your five-year-old self some love and say hey you know what you did the best you could with what you knew but it's time to update this map with all the new things we know now so in your mind, in your brain, you have this neural network, this map of what you believe to be who you are and how you will interact with the world. In order to change the map, you have to break up the old neuron clusters and replace them with new ones. And because your brain naturally wants to follow the pathways that are there, it will continually default to what it knows. It's it's like a marble always rolling downhill. It's not that your brain is saying, no, 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 we have to go this way. It's just like kind of the force of what's there. It's just the natural flow of the electricity. And this is where that resistance comes in that makes us think that change is impossible or it's never going to happen. It's because it does take effort to root up the one dominant pathway and then shift over to a different pathway. It's it's like if you tore up the road of your street, that's going to take time and effort and then to build a new one will take more time and effort. So all along the way, we might be thinking, oh, it doesn't work or it's not possible for me. But it's really just that you're mid construction and you just got to keep going. When your brain is defaulting to these negative thoughts that feel familiar, you don't want to think, well, my brain keeps going there. So that must be all there is for me. It must be true. It's just you're mid-process. Don't give up. Keep going. And depending on your childhood, if you were, you know, abused or there was a lot of trauma or a lot of chaos is going to determine, you know, what this is going to look like for you. So don't compare yourself to anybody else who's changing. You're on your own path, going at your own rate, And you know what's right for you. You know what you need. You know what you've been through. And no matter how you go about it, you deserve to feel loved and to feel worthy and to feel your brain working for you and in a positive, in a way that feels good. So for me, when I'm facing a a repeated negative thought, such as I'm a loser, which is something I used to think a lot. I mean, it would just be there, like a, like on a trigger. Sometimes I would just even wake up and the first thing I would think is like, oh, I'm such a loser. It was so repetitive and natural that I, kn- I I didn't think I would ever root it out, but it's actually gone down about 90%. So I'm giving you all of this information based on the knowledge that you can change. Change is possible. I've seen it in myself. So When I had this thought, I'm such a loser, I just began telling myself this is a thought based on false information. That was the most helpful thing to me because I no longer felt like I was fighting myself or that I had to change anything. If you've ever tried to change a thought and then you couldn't, there can be a real backlash to that where you feel like you failed again, you failed at changing your own thoughts. That's a really common experience. So going neutral was the best way I found to deal with these, to just say to myself, this is a thought based on false information. And then I would leave it at that. I wouldn't try to do any positive af- affirmations or remind myself why I'm great or, you know, about my friends who like me and that there's people who don't think this. No arguing, no trying to put anything else in place. Just letting that thought be something that I wasn't going to allow to continue on flowing freely, it's really just stepping back, putting my hands up, and saying, this is a thought based on false information. Trying to do positive informations when you're feeling negative usually ends up making you feel worse. For me, it feels like I'm lying to myself or like I'm trying to cover a pile of steaming garbage with a tablecloth. The garbage is obviously still there. What did work for me, and what I am a huge advocate of, is meditation. When you get relaxed and go into a medit- meditative state, excuse me, meditative state, meditative? Meditative. You can go into a meditative state, your brain will do something that scientists are still trying to understand. What science does know is meditation absolutely changes the brain for the better. They have done so much research and brain scanning of people who meditate and how it changes them over time, and the evidence does not lie. Your brain reforms and rebuilds while you meditate in ways that benefit you. It's so powerful and so wonderful. Meditation is a beautiful way to start breaking up the old map and clearing the way for the new one that you want to write. So as you clear your mind through meditation, the fastest way I know to redraw the map and to begin writing a new program is through visualization. Visualizing yourself as confident, happy, and whatever you want to be is extremely powerful. This is also something that science has researched, and in my next episode, I'm going to do a full discussion on the difference between meditation and visualization, what we know about how they work, how to use them, and why they're both important. Meditation is really kind of the focus right now of um, mental well-being, but visualization, it's so important, and I hope you'll join me next week when we get into this. I'm really excited about it. But meditation is not the only way to change your neural map. Another way is by changing your daily habits. And I don't mean changing where you start writing positive affirmations, but just changing how you go about your day, changing your routine. When you start doing things different, your brain will take notice and it will be forced to start creating and using new pathways. It will remind your brain that it's malleable, it's changeable, And it'll essentially become comfortable with being uncomfortable. It will learn to embrace the new. When I need to shake things up, I'll start getting up earlier. I'll change my morning routine. I'll do some light exercise in the morning. I'll change my gym routine, go to different classes, go at different times. I'll just try to do things on a different schedule than I would normally do them for me. And this, for me, is way more beneficial than repeating positive mantras I don't believe. And if you love having a schedule or you need to stick to one because you're really busy or you have kids, just try working in something new. Listen to music you never listen to when you're in the car. Instead of even listening to music, put on one of those language apps and start listening to a foreign language. Introduce new things into your mind and... I promise you'll notice results. Another thing that can be really helpful is going for a walk. I try to get out and go for a walk almost every day because it's so beneficial to my mind and my brain. I think it's just the the process of going out and kind of seeing things that I I haven't seen before because it's really amazing that every time you walk outside, the world is different. You're never going to see the same person in the same place. Like if somebody's walking their dog, you're never going to see them in the exact same place. So your brain is always kind of taking in new information when you go for walks and also it can get your blood pumping, getting oxygen flowing is really important to building new neurons. So um and you know exercise in general is just important to a healthy brain. If you can't go out for walks because you're not able to or the weather's not good, then another equally powerful and impactful thing you can do is being creative. Try painting with some watercolors, writing a haiku. If your kids are drawing, sit at the table and pick up some crayons and color with them. It doesn't have to be anything big or serious or or take up too much more of your time, but being creative is super, super good for brain health and brain malleability. Another thing that's really helpful is to do body movements that feel strange or unusual to you. This will help your brain to break out of repetitive thinking and open up to new thoughts and and new new neurons. It's one of the main reasons yoga provides so much healing for people. People start moving their body into positions they never have before, which of course is deeply uncomfortable. I think everybody's uncomfortable the first time they try yoga. And this is so good for not just your body, but it literally opens the mind up to new experiences and breaks up repetition. But yoga isn't the only way to do this. I just happen to like yoga, but you can also do it through spontaneous movement and dancing freely when you're home alone or doing something weird like clap 10 times and snap 20. And that sounds weird because it is weird. And that's the whole point. If it doesn't feel weird, then it's comfortable to your brain and changing your mind map is all about letting go of what feels comfortable. And honestly, at its root, that's all negative thinking is. It's thoughts we've thought so much they feel comfortable. They don't feel good, but they feel as if they belong there and this is entirely an illusion. They don't belong there and they can be pulled out like weeds at any time because, once again, those are thoughts based on false information. I'm going to finish here and leave you with my final thought, which is that you are so much more worthy, more valuable, and more important than you know. Your brain might be trying to convince you otherwise, and if it is, all you gotta say is, these are thoughts based on false information. When you start to have thoughts built around the truth of who you are, you will know because they will feel good. They will feel like sunshine, like light, like energy. A lightness will come over you. They'll feel like a warm hug. And as someone who was once so low, my self-esteem was in the toilet, and everybody was worried about me because I was just drowning in my own self-loathing. I promise you, change is possible. And just by listening to this episode and hearing things you maybe never have before, you're already in the process of building new neural pathways. So all you gotta do is keep going and remember to take rest when it feels good. Honor yourself. This isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to come back next week and talk to you all about meditation and visualization. It's a topic I'm really excited about and that I'm very passionate about. If you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating. Your support truly makes a difference. If you'd like to connect with me further, you can find me on my Instagram at meditate underscore with underscore Melissa and on my website, melissa-feel.com. And if you're ready to dive into some meditations and visualizations, scroll through this podcast. I've got tons of them out there and I would love for you to experience them and just start discovering the new you, the real you, the true you that is in there and ready to come out. Alright, hope to see you soon.